My name is John Omerchata, and this is the Gunpowder Plot Show, also known as the Guy Fox Podcast. And we are accompanied by a very special guest, the Shadow Priest. Hi, Father. Hey, how are you doing, my dear man? Very good. I was uh, very excited for this uh, episode with you. So, uh, and finally it happened. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is as I said, it's going to be the introduction um, for you, the Shadow Priest, at least on this, ep- on this, uh, this show. But um, we've known each other for what? 13, almost 13 years? Just about, yeah. Yep. You are my spiritual guide. I've talked about you quite a bit. Um, I'll refer to you on this as either the shadow priest uh, or father, uh, one of the two. And uh, how long have you been a priest? I was ordained in 1982 at the Vatican by His Holiness Pope St. John Paul. So you met him? Oh, yeah, I knew him very well. Um, I knew him and yeah, not only was so the only American in Rome with a uh, driver's license, a uh, universal driver's license. So in order to keep Mother Teresa from getting whiplash, uh, they uh, would always have me pick her up and drive her around. So I would take her uh, to various places, including the Vatican, uh, uh, serve for the Holy Father and um, sang uh, somewhat in the Sistine Choir and in different choirs that they, they brought in. And, and I, I studied there. I studied at the Angelicum in Rome, which is a pontifical university. Wonderful place. Uh, just a magnificent university. The life you have lived... Uh hopefully we'll be able to uh discuss all of that in the in the future podcasts that we have together uh but it's it's an extraordinary life uh all the stories you've told me um we'll get into but you know like i said today's the uh the introduction into the uh wonderful friend that i know you today so um you have done so you've done a couple of different things you you said you did radio, right, when you were younger? Yeah, I did radio, television, uh, some film, um, uh, voiceovers for radio and television, things like that, directed, uh, thing and stuff like things like that for a long, a long period of time. Because when I first, I wanted to become a priest from the time I could even think, and um, when it came time to going into the seminary, I wanted to enter into the uh, uh, the the seminary the high school seminary and i studied and I, I i didn't know i was dyslexic nobody really knew what that was back then and uh, so i was really a lousy student but i asked the nuns to you know give me every single instruction that they could and when i went to do the exams i i eventually passed which was a shocker to me but i passed and then we had an interview and in the interview uh the first question was tell us about your home life and my mother and my father were going through a separation at the time uh, that was brought upon by me because I, I went to the priest and brought him over to the house to speak to my mother. And uh, they said that that was an impediment for the priesthood. So I realized that I obviously I couldn't become a priest because I was from a broken home. 
And so I, I left the seminary at that point and just was distraught. And then the first thing that came into my mind, if I couldn't be a priest, what's the next best thing? And I thought, well, showbiz. Now, I was extraordinarily introverted. I mean, <laughs> clinically introverted. And so for me to even think about show business was a, a, a shocker in my own mind. And in fact, I think I wet my pants the first time I was ever on stage because I was just I was just terribly shy and still am to a certain extent. But then once I became a priest, once I was in show business, I kind of began to not conquer it, but work with it and within it. As the listeners now can hear your voice, the voice I have been, mm-hmm. I have been, uh, uh, what's the word? Speaking up your voice for a while now, and now they can hear it oh. and they can hear what I've been talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, it's no wonder that, that somebody would want you to uh, have you on, on the radio. Um, I didn't know, I didn't, I don't think we ever really talked about so much any television, although you did work on or with, is that correct? Yes, uh, at one time I did. Uh, I also um, uh, did a few things with Mother Angelica when she was still, before she had her big uh, EWTN network, when she was still in her old habit, you know, that beige colored habit with the, with the small hood. Oh, okay. Um, headpiece yeah and i did a a, a couple segments with her uh, and a and a specific nun who was suffering in the hospital and uh but that's nothing i mean i mean that was i enjoyed doing i basically focused my priesthood on the spiritual exercises of saint ignatius of Loyola, a 30-day retreat eight-day retreat three-day retreats things like that yeah and you've taken a lot of trips back to um, the Vatican, as well as uh, what were you were doing uh, walks in Israel, right? Pilgrimages out in Israel for a while. I went. I went to Israel uh, a couple of times, um, visiting basically the holy holy sites. Probably left most of my lips uh, wherever Jesus was. I, I immediately hit the ground and started kissing the floor. And um, but it, I didn't actually lead anyone there. I was on a, on a couple groups and was able to interject. I have led a number of groups through Rome because I lived there for. So I know it kind of like the back of my hand because I walked everywhere and and I, I saw things that most tourists never get a chance to see because almost every door that you pass is a is a church that's the size of a basilica. And unless you enter into those doors, you don't know these churches even exist. There are hundreds of churches in a four square mile area. And, uh, and I basically spent so many of the years I was training in, in Rome, uh, going through these churches and seeing the magnificent artwork, the, the, the beautiful, uh, statues that were created by some of the greatest artists in history. And, also, the spirituality of the great saints that was that's just all throughout Rome and, and Italy. I don't know what you're doing, what, like how you had your settings before when you when we first started this. But now your voice is I mean, it's it's been there for a while. Uh, it was just like for the first, I don't know, minute or two. It, you kind of sounded a little bit more silent. And whatever you're doing now is great. So everybody can hear your voice. It's phenomenal. Well, Okay, well, I didn't do anything really. It's just maybe it's just my bonus. <laughs> maybe it's just a little click in the yeah. No. Um, 
So when we first met, um, how I found you was I was I had uh, just moved to the area and uh, Michigan compared to because I used to live in Tennessee. Michigan is very rich in Catholicism. We have a lot of Catholic church chiz everywhere. Where ten, down in Tennessee, it's it's kind of more so one church per every forty five miles or so. So um, I was a little spoiled when I came up here, and uh, when I moved in the area, I kind of shopped around. But luckily, uh, it was right down the road. I went to confession one day, and you had built uh, that confessional. Right, you're 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 a pretty good carpenter, as well. Well, I I've I've done carpentry work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I and I based that confessional on the theology of the church, because what was going on at the time was a, a kind of a strange thing of uh, just uh, like a like a parlor with chairs in it. And I and 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 I remember that when I first got to, to that particular place, that church, um, I would be sitting in there, and there's no separation between the people and the priest, and I don't like that. I, I never did, and. So what would happen is, especially, uh, you know, there'd be ladies that would come in there and, and they would immediately grab the chair and drag it over and wanted to be knee to knee. And I would just immediately stop them and say, listen, I wouldn't come into your house and rearrange your furniture, put that chair back there. So what I did was I gutted the, the confessional and I built a wall with bars between it and where you can go face to face between the bars and um, a screened area where you wouldn't, I wouldn't see the person themselves. And, and, and that's a much better way to go to confession because if you make it into a counseling session, you're going to be there all day. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not a counseling session. It's, it's an encounter with Christ where you receive forgiveness of your sins. And if you belabor it and you're reading this and you're doing readings and you're going back and forth, all you're doing is frustrating every single person who's waiting in line, basically. Um, you know, you really, it's, 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 it's an encounter with Christ. It's not about the priest. It's not about a, 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 a nice adventure where you're chatting with each other. It's, it's an encounter with Christ, who is the, the Savior, the Redeemer, who's forgiving. And when he forgives, he forgets. And that is the message of the confessional. It shouldn't be a chit-chat session because that diminishes the sacredness of the sacrament itself, at least in my mind. I think people are starting to understand why you're my, my favorite priest. Uh, when, I, when I sat down at that confession, because I, I hadn't seen it yet, and I walk in there and it's like, just like he described, there's like metal bars. Um, I sat down. It was dark. I don't think I even saw you. I think I could see maybe the outline of you. And as soon as I sat down, I heard, I heard your voice. <laughs> and it was like, what is this? You know? Um, and then it was just from then on there, I said, all right, this is my church. This is, this is the parish I'm going to belong to. And, and, um, I started, I don't know if it was that day. It must've been soon after that because that was right before my son was born. Um, I think my wife at the time was pregnant and um, that was it. That was it for me. And then, you know, we started, um, talked with you and uh, you would have people who, if they couldn't make it to that confession, we could make an appointment to come see you and do oh, a confession always, yeah. at the house, which was wonderful. It's always, it was so, so great. And, 
Um, if I would have only, so it, it ended up blossoming into, he, be, he, you know, he became my, my spiritual guide. I think I ended up asking you one day, I said, can you please be my spiritual guide? You're like, oh, of course, you know? And, uh, from then on out, I mean, it's, I, I brought you my problems and you always had an answer. And if I had only listened the first time around, <laughs> I'd be so, so much further ahead by now, but I'm hard headed and you know, everything happens for a reason, I suppose. So, mm -hmm. um, but he, he always gave the best advice, uh, even when I didn't want to hear it, even when it was hard to hear, um, it's the type of, uh, man and priest that he is so well i'm very glad that i didn't scare you away on that first day no no you sure didn't it was uh it was arguably one of the best um confessions i think I've, i'd ever had you know very welcoming um very easy to deal with and and i think it's in large part because that's as you were explaining how to do a confession that's how i like to do the confession you know, I like to come in. I'm a, I'm an organized person. So I always have a list. I don't, I don't carry a list anymore. Not normally of like the sins, you know, unless I don't know, I've got, I'm sitting in there and I don't know what else to do. You know, I'll write down a list uh, if I'm waiting for a confession, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I just want to get in there, say my, my, <laughs> what my sins are. Uh, I've had some priests who are like, you know, wow, you just kind of say it so nonchalant. It's like, it's not that it's nonchalant. It's just, I'm, I'm reading off a list. <laughs> like, I really mm -hmm. am sorry for these things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, it was it was a wonderful time. And then every time after that, and then, uh, then you know, it just, it, like I said, it grew from there. And uh, we've been friends for, yeah, it must be 13 years now, which is crazy mm -hmm. to look back on. Um you baptized my daughter. Um, you've, you've watched my son grow from, uh, from a baby. I remember bringing him over there when he was a baby and all through mm -hmm. his toddler years. And, uh, you, you helped me out with my annulment. Um, <laughs> so you remember what the first one was like, uh, you know, so he's, he's been there for a lot. And then, you know, we, uh, Oh, this was uh, another thing I wanted to talk about. If you're okay talking about it was, when I first met you, do you remember you had some medical issues? Oh yeah. Well, um, yeah, I did. Um, that was through the grace of God. I, I did have a, a tumor, a brain tumor, um, which was wrapped around the brain stem and they didn't give me very much of a chance. They, um, they felt that there were only two doctors in the world that would attempt to remove it. And they didn't give me much of a chance because they felt that it was, it was, it was, they had to remove every single cell and on the brainstem that goes to your body. And so they were preparing me with different scenarios. I could be blind. I could be deaf. I could be crippled. I could be an invalid. I could be a paraplegic. Um, I could be blind. And, and so I basically kind of prepared for those things. Uh, but through the grace of God, uh, the only thing, that I that when I came out of the surgery was that um, when I they tried to get me to walk I would list to the left and so I immediately called the doctor and I says you know doc I says I'm a Roman Catholic priest I says, couldn't you please at least have me list to the right <laughs> and 
I figured this way you'll get better faster. So, and I did. I eventually didn't have to use the cane to to push myself uh, to the right. And um, and I, through the grace of God, I was able. Although I did get a um, a brain infection and a spinal infection from Sloan Kettering. Yep. And uh, that was worse because that actually almost did do away with me. In fact, infectious diseases got involved in it, and they said that it would be either the infection that would take me or the cure. And uh, so I'm still alive. And this is 12 years ago, now 13 years almost. And yeah. uh, 13. And so, um, you know, I mean, to the grace of God. And, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, praying. And I was on a, they put me on a prayer chain and I was so out of it during the time that I had no idea all these things were going on. And the pastor of the parish was, and had asked everybody to pray. And I believe that through those prayers, um, they, they guided the doctor's hands and the, the, um, um, infectious diseases. And they were able to, uh, literally bring me back. And so I've, I've got uh, things that are, you know, effects of a degenerative spine and things like that now but it doesn't matter you got to die from something so i mean i don't really care uh what you know these things are nothing i mean we all have to suffer something and nobody has it worse than another we all have we all have our cross to bear and to tell you the truth when you're bearing a cross it's never as bad as people think i mean you know everybody would look at me during the surgery before the surgery and they say why are you so happy why is it i said well why wouldn't I be? I said, I, I, being miserable is not going to change a stinking thing. I mean, I, I'm going to go through the surgery. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. And so why should I spend the last few days of my life being miserable or afraid? And so as long as I'm right with God, I, I made a life confession and, and things like that. And, and so I was very content to go through whatever God wanted me to endure. And and so um, it was a, it was it was actually a wonderful experience. But it wasn't as bad as people might think because the grace of God is such that he never gives you those graces until you actually need them. And so a lot of people, they, they look at what's going to happen and they, they worry. And I keep telling them, you don't have the grace yet. Wait until you're suffering it. Wait until you're going through it. That's when God gives you the grace. He doesn't throw grace at you that you don't need. And so I realized that, that once I endured that, I, I realized that that's absolutely true, more true than you'll ever imagine, that God will give you every single grace you need, and it's going to be so much different than you think. So never allow fear to govern or guide you. Just always trust in the grace and the mercy of God, because whatever happens, God will provide. He promised it. And so that's that I, I accept that and, and I trust him. I trust him completely. And so no matter what I've had to go through in my life, and I've gone through a lot of different things, good and bad alike, I have found that all of it works for the glory of God. And I pray for my salvation. Everything he just said about how he was and jovial and happy is exactly how he was just like now. And, and even to this day, and well, I'm, I was, I guess I was going to save it towards the end. Um, but even to this day, as soon as he answers the phone, when I call him or he calls me or whatever, and I say, Hey, father, how are you doing? God is way too good to me. That's the first thing he says to me every time. 
he was and and I just met him at this time, you know, and uh, and he's like, yeah, I just had brain surgery. I'm like, what? And he's and he I had called him. I said, hey, father, can I stop by for a confession? He's like, sure. Just had brain surgery. And he's watching over my my myself as I'm coming over, you know, admitting all the selfish things that I'd been up to, you know, Um and then, yeah, the infections, uh, disease thing, um, <laughs> that happened. I think I, I think I was finding these things out through going to confession with you as you were going through them. Yeah, maybe some of those, com- some of those confessions, I might have been somewhat delirious because <laughs> I was, I didn't even know where I was. I, there were people who came to visit with me and help me, and I had no idea that had ever been there. I had yeah. a very good priest friend of mine come from. Uh, Missouri, and he spent like two weeks taking care of me. And when I got better, and the infection left, and I was thinking clearly, I I called him up and I said, I, I, "When are you going to come here? You promised me that you were coming." He says, "I was there for two weeks. I was I was I was with you for two day day and night." I said, "You're kidding? I don't remember anything." So you know, you have to forgive me if I sounded a little loopy at times. Oh right? no, you're great. You talk to me. Always, but I still do sometimes sound a little loopy, so that's the way it goes. You know, that's That's, uh, yeah, I think I think all of us could say that. Um, yeah, and then, um, after that, you know, it was it was pretty steady there for a minute, but then obviously I went through uh, the situation that I went through, um, and you were there for me, you know, as I said, you uh, told me all the things that, uh, were best for me, even when I didn't want to hear them. Um, got through that. Uh, you guided me through it. Um, and the wonderful thing was, too, uh, he, he's a really good cook. He's a phenomenal <laughs> cook. Um, and I think that was around the time that you also started mentioning to me intermittent fasting. Because you were... You were, uh, you had lost what, 65 pounds, I think? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And he had mentioned intermittent fasting to me. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I didn't, I was, again, hard headed. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to try that. And you were just telling me, no, 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 no. You need to, you know, this is how humans need to eat. And, you know, it's, it's the best thing for your body. And, and I'm just sitting here, I'm looking at the evidence, I'm looking at you, and I'm going, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's just the hard head. I mean, hopefully I've, I've softened my head a little bit in my oh, older yeah. age. Well, you know, but, I'll tell you something. You, you say that I, I gave you counseling, but you have to understand that I learned at a very young age that when a, a person preaches, when a priest preaches, he should never preach to the crowd or to the individuals. He should preach to himself. So every single thing that I told you, I needed to hear. And that's still to this day. I, I don't preach at people. I mean, most people, when I'm giving them counseling or something like that, I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself that advice. And you're listening in on it, basically. And so it really isn't that I, I'm imparting wisdom. I'm getting these things that God gives me that I'm, I'm really saying to me. And, 
you just happen to be overhearing it. And so <laughs> it's not it's not like I got this big storehouse. You know, honestly, I have n- I've only prepared one homily in my entire life. That's what you one were telling homily. me last night. Yeah. yeah. That was the one when I was in a CZ preaching and I wasn't even a priest yet. I was a student. I wasn't even a deacon. And the the superiors wanted, they insisted that I write down every single homily. And when I, I, it was a beautiful day in a season, beautiful sunny day. And so they had me outside speaking to a bunch of people. And I picked up the, my, my prepared homily or my prepared talk. And I was giving it. And all of a sudden I looked up and almost everybody was asleep. And so I banged on the pulpit where there was a big, there was a, um, what do you call it? A microphone there. And they all woke up and I took that homily that I had prepared under obedience and I tore it into a thousand pieces and I threw it up in the sky. And I said, I promise you, I will never do that again. And I never did. I've never, I can't write something down because not only would I bore you, I'd bore me. So I always feel that whenever I would give a talk, I have to like, I have to, it has to be from the heart or forget it. If I'm not going to speak from what's deep inside and what God gives me when I'm doing, when I'm speaking, then I shouldn't be saying anything. And usually when I'm done, if I'm giving a talk, I've given talks to thousands of people, maybe introducing Mother Teresa and in Kentucky and things like that. And they wanted me to talk an hour. Well, I spoke for 20 minutes and I stopped because that's all God gave me 20 minutes. That was it. And so I stopped and they were, they wanted me to continue, but I said, I don't have anything else. That's it. (laughs) And because when God stops, when when he stops speaking, I don't, I'm not going to burden everybody and bore the bejesus out of them just because I want to say something. So I just, I figure, well, what God gives me, he gives me. And when it's over, it's over. Yeah. He has, um, and, and as somebody who's experienced your homilies, I can tell the listeners, um, they're phenomenal. I mean, to no, not I'm, just only have the confession when I went the first time, but then to show up and see him at uh, Mass. And if, for any of our non-Catholic um, uh, listeners, uh, you have the, it's a part of Mass, right? So you have uh the beginning of mass, the sign of the cross, you end up doing three readings from the old Testament. Um, the part of the new Testament outside of the four canonical books. And then the last reading is from one of the four can canonical books. And then the priest does what's called a homily, which is basically his, how would you say an interpretation of. Well, it's um, a teaching. It should be. It actually, before the Second Vatican Council, it really didn't um, deal with just scripture as it was proclaimed. It dealt with the teachings of the church. In other words, you would give uh, a a, a talk each Sunday on each one of the Ten Commandments for ten weeks. Um, Then you would do the seven virtues and uh, and, uh, the eight beatitudes and and things like that. It, It wasn't... It wasn't homiletics. It was a sermon. It was a means of teaching and, and, and instructing and, and bringing people to a higher understanding of the truths of the faith. 
And so that was what, what a homily should be and what, or what, a, what a sermon should be. And a lot of times they, people, they want to entertain you. And I'm not sure that that's a very good idea. I mean, granted, it's a good idea to be funny sometimes. You joke a little bit. People laugh. But remember this. I always felt that I have to talk to two sets of people to the elderly and the little kids. And whenever I would preach, those are the two individuals, those are the two groups that, uh, that I'm aware of. Because if you can get something across to children, you can get it across to anybody. And if you respect the elderly, then you, you combine the two things that are the most important, simplicity and respect for people's intelligence. You know, I had a kid come to me once. He was in the seminary, and they were teaching him to tell a story about himself. And I was listening to his, his, his talk, and I stopped him. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, we were told that we should talk about ourselves and give a little anecdote about ourselves. I said, listen, people don't come to church to hear about you. They come to church to hear about salvation, the son of God made man who saves us from our sins. And it is him crucified that does this. And so if you can't talk about that, if that's not enough and you can't bring other things into it, don't tell stories about yourself. That's not what people come to church for. And you know what? He never did that again. And he was, he was, he became a great preacher. I mean, I, I listen to him all the time and I'm just amazed because he, he really speaks from his heart. He doesn't pretend and tell stories and ugh, it just drives me nuts when people do that because they, it bores the boogers out of me. I, I just can't stand it. I, I want to leave because I think to myself, he's not telling me anything. He's not giving me meat to chew on. They're giving me fluff and there's nothing worse than fluffy scripture. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, been a, um, a complaint for a bit from, you know, others. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I have to admit it too. We have a, uh, I have a old Italian priest at my parish. Uh, he's, he fills in from time to time and mm. he's got a broken accent. He's from Italy. He's got a uh -huh. broken accent, speaks very monotone. Um, I, I pay attention as best I can, you know, uh, but it's, it's one of those things where if you're not ready, <laughs> you're going to start thinking about other stuff while he's doing his homily, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, when I was a child and I wanted to be a priest, I wanted to be a priest from the, I never did want to be anything else. And what I, when I heard a, a, a sermon or a homily, whatever you want to call it, that wasn't really hitting the point, what I would do is I would imagine what I would have said to really bring the truth home. And so I was, while the, the priest was talking, I would be rewriting it to a certain extent. 
um, in, in a child's way, so to speak. But, right. um, and this, I did all my life, even when I was in the seminary, even when I would hear bishops and priests and, and people speak, I would say, Oh, I wouldn't have said that. Well, I wouldn't have said that. I would have been this. I would have said that. I would have, you know, and I, and I think, and I, I'd go look things up and, 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 and just try to bring, um, the depth back into what was said. And it doesn't mean that you can't get something out of, uh, there's a priest who speaks monotone or a, a minister that, that is boring. Listen, you can always find magnificent things, but you got to find them. You have to be attentive and you have to listen and you have to, to pull stuff out of it because, you know, the, nobody says nothing. They always say something. And it's, it, you, can, you can find the depth in almost everything. You know, look at the, the Beatitudes, how simple they are. And yet there are hours of, of sermons and homilies written on each one of the Beatitudes. And they're the most simple things in the world, yeah. but they're so deep. And that's why, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I know that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people, the, homiletics wasn't preached very much. Uh, I even taught a little bit of it when I was in the seminary and, and tried to get people to kind of open up and, and, and realize that. You, you have to speak from your heart, not from your brain. Because if you speak from your brain, you're going to bore everybody to death. And, you know, don't give, you know, quotes and, oh, just nothing worse than that. In fact, Bishop Sheen, he was my, he was my hero when I was a kid. You know, I just loved Bishop Sheen. And I remember once that they told a story, he told a story about parish retreat. And he was in, um, in, in New York at St. Patrick's Cathedral. And he was quoting all these magnificent, uh, you know, and he'd been to so many different universities in Europe and all this stuff. And so he was just wowing them with this magnificent knowledge. And a little old lady came up to him afterward and she said, Father Sheen, because he wasn't a bishop then. She said, Father Sheen, my life will never be the same. It was, I, I, I will never be the same. I, it changed me. You know, your words changed me completely. I will never be the same. And he was, oh, he was all filled with this great pride. And he, and he looked at her and he says, tell me, my dear lady, could you, do you remember exactly what it was that I said that changed your life so drastically? And she said to him, well, honestly, Father Sheen, I, I didn't understand a word you said. <laughs> I figured if I don't understand it, it must be beautiful and important. <laughs> and, he, and from that day on, he said he <laughs> never did that again. He had a book in uh, the Bible in one hand, a newspaper in the other, and he had a little bit of ham in him. And he said, that's how I preach from that day on. He said, I never went back. And, you know, I understood exactly what he was saying. And because I tried to do the same there, I was, I was, forced to do the same thing and it doesn't work it just doesn't work if you do that if you rely upon words that are written oftentimes by somebody else you're never going to reach people they're going to have to reach you they're going to you're going to putting them through too much work to try to get something from what you're saying you have to make it beautiful and exciting and alive and and vibrant and just be yourself and 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 when you're in love it shows when you're in love with the truth and you know when i went to the to rome to study 
That's what I think I learned the most. I fell in love with the truth. It wasn't that I was learning. It was I had fallen in love. I had finally found my one true love. And that was the knowledge that they were imparting me. I fell in love with it. And when you're in love with someone or something, you can go on and on and on forever. You can bore people too, no doubt about that. But you can be, you can, it, it's exciting. It's vibrant. It's alive. And that's what scripture really is. Remember this, that scripture is most certainly, it is the word of God. Most certainly scripture is the history of salvation. Most certainly it is the life of Christ. Most certainly are the commandments of the Lord. Most certainly it's all these things, the Jewish nation and how throughout all the years. But there's only one thing that matters in scripture is the one definition that very few people understand or realize that the Bible is all those things, but above all, it's a love letter. And if you don't realize it's a love letter, you'll never understand it. Never. You can't because you'll be picking it apart. You take one phrase out of a love letter and nobody will understand it. For example, in the Song of Songs, there is a beautiful line that says, your nose is as a tower of ivory. Now, there's a person who needs rhinoplasty. That's a person who needs surgery, for crying out loud. Because if you take it out of context, you have no idea what they're talking about. To say that you have a nose like a rhinoceros, tusk is nuts. But if you put it in context, the love letter becomes this magnificent thing that you need to see and hear and, and understand from beginning to end. And that's what the Bible is. You can't pick and choose. That's why I've never memorized this line or the oh, John 23 or this and that. I've never done that. Why? Because that would kill it. What you're doing is you're taking, picking apart a love letter. You can't do that. Every single word in the Old Testament and every single word in the New Testament blend perfectly together because they're all about love. That's it. There's no other message in scripture. It's all a love letter. And once you see that, you will never misunderstand it. You will never, no one will ever be able to use scripture to hurt you, to frighten you, to, to coerce you like so many have done in the past. Because once you see it's a love letter, it can only move you to one thing, and that is falling in love. Amen. I remember the time that I uh, I couldn't remember the chapter and verse, and, and your response was just that. Who, who cares? <laughs> Like, uh, exactly. I guess I don't. <laughs> yeah, well, who cares what chapter and verse? I mean, yeah. you know, I'll tell you, it's not, you know, intelligent wisdom is something that, you know, everybody thinks that if you can quote every, you can quote verses in scripture. Oh, that's a wise priest or a wise minister. That's baloney because wisdom is never going to be how much you know. That's not the definition of wisdom. The definition of wisdom, no matter how, I've known people who never didn't even know how to write their own name, couldn't count to 10, had no idea of anything in the world, lived in favelas in Brazil, 
and they were filled with wisdom. Why? Because wisdom has nothing to do with the amount of knowledge you have, but whatever knowledge you have permeated with love. That is the true definition of wisdom. And if you look in any other place for wisdom, you are, you are uh, crawling up a tree and you are, are, are digging a hole for yourself because wisdom has nothing to do with the, the compilation of knowledge. It's how much love permeates whatever knowledge you have. That's why little old ladies, little old men they, from, 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 who live in, in, in the poorest areas can be the most wonderfully imbued with wisdom, wisdom of the ages. And why? Because they've, they, that's why wisdom is not found in children. Because it is about love and you need age to understand what love really is. Because especially in this stage, this day and age, is one of the only four-letter words that we really don't have a clue what it means. Other languages have four, five, six, eight words for love. We have yeah. and And so it's definitely not, um, it's not something that, that is, is, is mundane. It's not something that we can peg. It's something that we have to become. You know, our Lord says, become love. Become like the Father. And the Father and the Son, they, their, their love is so intense that it breathes forth the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is love itself. So if we're going to speak about Scripture, we're going to speak about anything it's always going to be within the Holy Spirit. And that is love, love itself. Agreed. 100%. Sorry, I went on and on. I, I no, have a tendency to that's, do that sometimes. That's what I wanted. Um, are you having fun so far? Oh, gosh, yes. I love it. I, I'm, I'm happy. I, I'm, I have no problem. Yeah, see, we got to get you going with the, uh, the Shadow Priest podcast for yourself. Um, <laughs> I knew you would. I knew that I knew this was going to be a, a good time. Uh, and this is just the introduction. I mean, there's, there's plenty, uh, to get into, um, in other episodes, uh, in the future. If you're, if you're up for it, um, well, by all means, I know I'm not, a, I, you know, I'm too old to be afraid. Yeah. Well, and I've so, never known you to be afraid either. So that's no, you know, and that's been one of my problems is that because <laughs> I don't have very much fear, yeah. um, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of anything anymore. I, you know, whatever happens, I'm happy. I, I'm, I, there'll never, I will never have a bad day, never in my entire life, only because everything is better than I merit. Everything is happens is better than I deserve. And so I thank God for it because, you know, when you really think of it, when you look at your past, it's not just the good things that made you who you are. It's also the bad things. And people who blame the bad things and for them not achieving things, they're liars because it's not just the good things that make you who you are. It's also the bad things. In fact, the bad things can be more instructive and more beneficial to help you become the person that you are. And if you are happy with yourself, you're never going to blame the past. You're not going to blame your parents or your boss or, or your childhood or, or the horrible things that happened to you in life. Because to tell you the truth, that's what made you who you are. And if you're happy with you, which you should be, then thank God for that. 
I mean, I had tough times growing up. I, I wasn't, didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth. I, we ate oatmeal so much that I couldn't stand the sight of a Quaker. I mean, we were just constantly eating oatmeal. And my mother would put milk in it one day, and then she'd put sugar in another, and then she'd put it dry the next day, and maybe a little cinnamon another day. And we had oatmeal all the time because we couldn't afford any food. We had mustard sandwiches. But you know something? Those are the best times. Well, my mother didn't have to give me things. You know, I, I, we, we had each other. We had a knowledge of God. We had, I saw God as my father. And I wasn't lacking anything. And I think that we have to appreciate what God does in our lives rather than expecting everybody else to do things in our lives. And that's, I think, what's what why we have this this um, you know entitlement mentality, because we think that we deserve things. And in reality, what do we deserve? What have we done? We are we have everything that we could possibly need. How much does it cost to see a sunrise in the morning, or hear hear the birds singing in, in a spring morning, or see the snow fall? That would be priceless. We'd have to pay billions of dollars to have that, but it's free. It's free. It, it's, you know, we really have to become aware of the magnificence of life and the things that God has already given us that we don't pay for, that we don't, we don't even deserve, and yet we've got them. But it's, I think it's about time we started saying thank you instead of saying, it's not enough. I want more. Why didn't I have this? Why don't I have that? I mean, everybody wants to be a victim. And you know something? There was only one victim. And that was Christ. Because he was innocent. He was a victim. He was a victim of our, our sins. We get what we deserve. Most certainly, we can't complain. None of us have been perfect. None of us have been flawless. And so, therefore, we accept the things that happen to us, not because God punishes us, but because he kept us from getting what we really deserve, really, when you think of it. If we got, if anybody, if we got what we deserve, good heavens, I, I don't know. I mean, what will we do? But God protects us. He gives us so much wonderful, so many wonderful things in our lives and protects us. And, and no matter what we suffer, it is really nothing. And as long as we depend upon him, we trust in him, we look to him, we never will have to worry. I don't think. That's just my personal opinion. That's as a priest, that's what I that's the way I feel. And uh that's in the, the backdrop. I don't know if uh if you want to go too much further um tonight, we can always do it the next uh time that we talk um about the uh, what happened with you um, here in the uh, the diocese? No, I would say that I'm not really too concerned about that because whatever happened to me, I look at it this way: the it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where I am is where I should be, and I have no regrets. I have no um, no worries. I don't have any ill feelings toward anybody. And I feel that I've been blessed way beyond what I should be. And I pray for all those 
who perhaps helped me in in either negative way or a positive way because I, I believe that they're all they've all helped me so much and I could never repay them. And and it's it's I leave that to God. So I I'm not really I don't know if I, I really want to talk about what happened to me okay. personally. I think that it's uh, you know I would say this that I have uh, all I can say is I've been blessed and it was probably the greatest time in my life to be among the people there. They were wonderful. The people were magnificent. They are they're literally good, holy, kind, generous, gentle, faith-filled people. And I'm not just talking about the Catholics. I'm talking about people I met on elevators in the hospital, people I visited who weren't, didn't have any faith at all and were invited me into their rooms or, you know, talk to me and let me speak to them. And I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 just, I just feel that it, it's been such a beautiful life. That if I died tomorrow, I would be the happiest. It would be my happiest death one could have, because mm-hmm. every minute of my life has been a, a grace-filled blessing from God. So I really don't necessarily need to talk about stuff no, that's that okay. happened to um, me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, and, and you know what I mean. Truth and how he. I mean, this is just how he is. Uh, if you haven't, if you haven't caught on yet. Uh, throughout the, the last 50 minutes of him um, kind of describing things. This is truly how he is where I'm, I'm a little bit more coarse. <laughs> I might explain a little bit more than he does, uh, but I need to, I need to not, you know, I need to, uh, to try and attain his level, but um, no, I mean, I've, I've talked about it before. Uh, I wasn't, you know, super pleased with it on my side, but um, yeah, he's, uh, and this is uh, for all of the things, I mean, the whole life of the shadow priest, and this is where he's at, you know, and this is how he's been just so joyful and, and joyful, not, not just happy, you know, not that fleeting feeling of happiness, but rather joyful. Oh, um, yeah, that's for sure. I, the joy, nobody can take from you. Nobody has, you can be joyful at a funeral. I mean, uh, joy is one of those things, part of the virtue. Happiness comes and goes. It blows like a reed in the wind. I mean, and the thing is, it's never going to be about happiness. Happiness is something that is determined by exterior events. Joy is a choice. I mean, you get up in the morning and you either choose to be joyful or you choose to be a misery. And if you choose to be miserable, you want everybody else to be miserable with you. And I've seen that so many times in my life. And nobody can make you miserable unless you give them that power. If you give people the power to make you miserable, it's your fault. Nobody else's. Your boss can't make you miserable. Your parents can't make you miserable. Your children can't make you miserable unless you let them. What you have to do is realize that misery and joy are choices. Just like heaven and hell are choices. Every single person in hell is a volunteer. There's nobody who's surprised when they get to hell. They've chosen it. They want to be in hell. In fact, and I know this may, you may think this is weird, but hell is an expression of God's mercy. Because it'd be a greater hell to be in heaven having rejected God than to be in hell where God's presence is only in his creative presence. And so 
God's mercy created hell so that those who rejected him would have a place to go. And they run to hell. Nobody's cast into hell. You choose heaven or you choose hell. You choose happiness, you choose misery. People have to stop blaming everybody else. When you get to heaven, you don't have anybody else to blame but yourself. And same thing with hell. You don't have anybody to blame but yourself. Nobody can say, oh, well, I'm in hell because so-and-so did such as... That's a lot of baloney. It's your choice. You choose on this earth. You begin either heaven or hell. And it's your choice. Nobody else's. Nobody has the power to take your joy away from you unless you give it. And that's why you got to hold on to it and don't let anyone ever take it away from you or pretend that they have the power to do so because they don't. You've heard it from the priest's mouth. All right. I think we're getting, uh, I think that's a good spot to probably um, end on. It's almost been an hour. Doesn't feel like it, does it? No, not really. In fact, I, I'm kind of surprised that it's already yeah, an hour. Everybody I've ever, I, I think that I've ever done a, a podcast with that first time, it's always like, it's holy crap, it went by so fast. Um, <laughs> this is usually where I'll uh, have people plug themselves, which just means, um, you know, let everybody know where they can find any of your content or material. Um, is it, is it, uh, what's your, what's the website? Oh, let's see. Uh, the Shadow Priest website, but there's also, and I, you can, you can find some things on there, but um, yeah, I don't really necessarily have a way. I mean, I do have, uh, that's for sure. So people can, can go there, but see, I don't really do very much. It's other people that have done those websites. I, I'm, I myself don't, I don't have any kind of, I don't know. I, I just don't do that. I don't, uh, I don't run a website. I'm, I'm not doing this. I, I just figure everything should be free. I, you know, preaching yeah. the word of God, spirituality, it should all be free. No, nobody should charge. Nobody should make money from it. And so I don't. So, I mean, if people want to go and find these things, that's, that's great. You know, God bless them. Well, you do have uh, a lot of your speeches, his speeches, by the way, I mean, this is just me and him talking right now. His speeches are phenomenal. He gave me, he used to uh, make a whole bunch of, of uh, CDs that he would hand out. I mean, this is, again, 10 years ago or so. Um, and you had a website where people could go to. I know that it was. If you want to talk, if you want to learn about heaven, hell, purgatory, uh, Mary, uh, the Eucharist, confession, anything like that, uh, the, the, the St. Benedict, um, you want to learn about anything like that. There, there are talks that you can, you can, you can find there that, uh, will kind of, you know, it kind of answer some questions and, and none of, by the way, None of those talks I wrote, I, I basically, somebody asked me, would you talk about this? And so I talked about that. And so somebody recorded them. I never recorded them. Somebody else recorded them. And uh, then uh, somebody else put them all together and put them on that thing and collected them. And so I really don't even know exactly what's on there. I just know that there are a lot of talks that I've given, but none of them were scripted. In fact, everybody asked me, can you send me a copy of yeah. a script? And I said, well, I have no, I've never had a script. I've, I've never, I've never written any of that down. In yeah. fact, 
sometimes I listen to them myself and, and, and I'm kind of amazed, you know, because I, I don't remember <laughs> half of the stuff, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is interesting. And I think, wait a second, I said that, wow, where did I get that from? You know, sometimes I don't even know how I'm going to finish a sentence and I, I just continue on and it finishes itself. I, I have no idea. It's all, it's, it's all through the mercy of God. You know, God has been way too good to me. Um, if anybody finds any of that stuff useful, God bless them. You know, I mean, they, they can have it. Agreed. Well, there you go. Um, we're going to do more uh, episodes in the future. So this won't be the last. Um, Father, thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and talking with me. Well, how about if I give uh, uh, everyone a blessing? Would you mind? Would they mind? I suppose. Please do. Yeah. Okay. Through the intercession of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, with the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may God send his angels to guard, guide, and protect you. And may the love that he's instilled within your hearts on the day of your baptism grow each and every single day until that very love itself consumes you into eternity. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son, Father and, the Son and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Excellent, Father. Thank you so well, much. God okay. bless you, my dear brother, and thanks for giving me a call. It's always yeah. a pleasure talking with you. Yes, it is. God bless you too, brother. All right. All right God love you. Thank you, Father. Bye. Bye.